Hello and welcome to the 1106 of a Second Photography podcast. I'm speaking to Richard John today and Richard does documentary photography within a music scene. So Richard, can you just sort of talk about your photography and introduce yourself, please? Hi. Uh, yeah, so I'm Richard John. I uh, have been currently photographing uh, Northern Soul subculture uh, skinhead and mods within that scene for nearly 10 years now. Kind of fell into it really. I was doing a photo gig in Morecambe for the Midland Hotel. Someone I got known talking to kind of said, oh, why don't you go to the tower next week? Uh, Richard Serling, who is kind of the godfather of DJs at Wigan Casino back in the, the late 60s, 70s, uh, does a Northern Soul uh, venue. And literally from there, it, it snowballed to me photographing up and down the country and even going to Brazil, to Sao Paulo to photograph the scene out there. So it, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. What draws you to photographing subculture then? There's a, there's a phrase used within Northern Soul saying it's a way of life. I went in there kind of completely open with no preconception of what to expect. And I have to say I was welcomed with open arms and you meet people from all sorts of diversity and way of life and it is a way of life you know these people dress the way they dress and invest a huge amount of money and time in records and vinyls and it's not a fad it's not a trend that's going to go in and out of fashion it it really is a way of life for these people and I, I just found it intriguing to kind of be amongst them but at the same time my style of photography was always being to be in the shadows you can have a dance floor full and you'll watch one person dancing and it's almost as if it's just them and the music. So, and, and that kind of drew me, you know, there's this passion about it as well. So let's talk about sort of your regular routine. So for 10 years, you've been doing this pretty much every week, haven't you? So I, up until recently, had a full-time job. So I was working um, kind of in camera accessories and, and what have you. And yeah, so... Friday night would consist of going to an all-nighter, uh, photographing, coming home at eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday. So when most people are getting up to do the B&Q and shopping, I was crawling into bed. That kind of continued for about eight years until eventually I kind of, kind of pared back a little bit. I wasn't doing as many as I did because you kind of find that you start to photograph the same people. It's a, it's a small network of people and you can't always take pictures of everybody that you want to be taking. I, on the back of photographing uh, a few mods in Blackpool, I got offered a teaching job at the local college uh, evening class. Having never taught before and completely new to it, just got kind of thrown at the deep end, which is how I kind of live my life and learn, basically. And that has kind of opened a whole avenue of, of kind of hopefully passing on my passion for, for photography. Uh, I'm not a tech guy. I'm, I know stuff, but I'm not a technical photographer. For me, it's about capturing a moment uh, and being creativity, you know, within that really. And uh, so much so that I now kind of run workshops, uh, weekend workshops within Blackpool where I currently reside. Hopefully pushing forward, I do quite a bit of food photography now. A passion who doesn't love food, so bringing the two together seems like a natural thing. So going back to um, your sort of eight-year stint of every weekend do, doing an all-nighter, as you put it, 
that's that's a huge investment on your time isn't it and physically to be sort of up till 8 a.m um having not slept I, I think the last time I did that was, was when my children were born something that's happened twice in my life you were doing every weekend for eight years now obviously you must have loved what you were doing but talk me through what you were doing in those sort of eight hours after a while I got to meet a lot of people so they knew who I was and they didn't have an issue with me being there. I've always been mindful that I am there at people's good grace and will, and not everyone is going to want to have their picture taken for, for whatever reason that may be. At first, I was kind of just kind of very apprehensive and wasn't very forthcoming, whereas now people ask if I'm going to a venue or would ask if I'm going to be there or have you got any pictures of me? Can I buy a print? For the first couple of hours, sometimes I'm just kind of having a recce around seeing how people are dancing and where they're dancing. Is there ambient light that I can use without a flash? Uh, listening to the music and just kind of chatting to friends, really. And then as the night goes on, uh, the dance floor probably gets a little bit quieter because people have gone home. And then you've got a, a great view then of someone dancing on their own in a corner. And away you go, you get that kind of golden hour or two where everything kind of comes into place. The music's upbeat and tempo and people are really going for it. And then that's my job for me to try and capture that moment. Yeah, investment time-wise, I never kind of went into Northern Soul as a as a business to to make money it was only after about a year someone said to me oh can i can i buy a print till this day now i'm always kind of flattered that someone would want to have an image that i took even of them hanging on their walls you know it's kind of a privilege for me really so those images of people they're obviously in a documentary style so do you spend a lot of time editing them particularly if people want to buy them or is what's taken what's delivered when people are dancing on the dance floor, a lot of them will tell you that they're in a world of their own. You know, you could be surrounded by 50 people, but at that moment in time, it's just them and the music. And that's what I try to capture. So the majority of my images are always a single person dancing. And I'd have to wait it quite a bit because sometimes you'd have someone with a, doing a high kick in the background and obviously their foot would be kind of halfway through someone's head and therefore great deal of editing of blacking the background out and isolating them. And as I've progressed and I've kind of changed over from Canon to Sony, the Sony allows me to shoot in extremely low light and that has kind of changed my style slightly. So I'm less kind of trying to pinpoint that one person. And as I've got better, hopefully, my framing is improved and therefore i don't have to do too much editing a lot of it is just basically color correcting or giving it a, a black and white feel to fit the genre so let's talk about the kit what do you take with you and what camera kit do you use so for a long time i shot with a canon 7d and i used the uh Canon flash and that was kind of with a modified diffuser so I not only would I have a plastic diffuser on that but I had literally put elastic band with a business cards around it to try and kind of filter the light to where I wanted it to go and that enabled me then to kind of highlight the person dancing and blacken the background and as I've progressed my eye got caught with the Sony investing in that was probably the a big game changer for me in my photography in general 
so the alpha with the Zeiss 55mm lens means that at 1.8, so much light comes in and the image is so clear edge to edge that I can go to these places where they are fundamentally very dark venues. They're not well lit at all. There's no sparkly lights. It's not a disco. This is a dark hall, badly lit, as a photographer would say. But if you can just get those little snippets of light coming through, catching someone side on. My work's always been very dark and edgy, and the Sony allows me to kind of keep that, but then sometimes edit with a bit of colour to, to give it a feel that would be different from anyone else's. So you must get home tired in the morning maybe a long drive go to bed probably get up late on a Sunday and I'm guessing you might have sort of two or three hundred images how do you pick the best ones to be honest with you I'd, I'd, by the time I got home I would sleep for about three or four hours and then I'd be up back in the day I would try and turn around the images as quick as possible currently I've kind of slowed down a little bit as for image wise I kind of know I kind of halfway through the, the night I'll have a feel for some of those images are going to work really well. And when I first started, probably like a lot of photographers, I probably took too many pictures. I've been to gigs now where sometimes I only take a couple of hundred, if that. As for images that work, I've learned pretty quick to listen to the music and know certain dancers will do a certain move at a certain time. So you listen to the break, certain dancers will kick or they'll do a backflip, they'll jump. So I'm always watching and that enables me then to get in the right position, the right place to, to capture that image. So the reality is you're probably looking at more than less than five that are real images that you're kind of they're the, they're the money shot. And then after that, you're probably looking at about 25 images that will fill in that will kind of add to the album as a story. So do you rate your images through the night or do you wait till you're home and you can look, look at them on the screen? I get asked at night oh have you got any good images and i always explain uh, i wait till i get home so i can see them on the mac uh, looking at an led screen on the back of a camera you can be forced thinking oh that looks good uh, that's 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 the one that's going to be uh, the shot and then when you look it on the screen you kind of realize oh it's probably not as good as i thought so i've kind of always held back and just said oh hopefully we'll see <laughs> and that's and that's kind of how I stuck with it, really. This could be quite a solitary venture. Or it could be quite a social venture. Which one is it for you? Uh, when you've been doing it, have have you just been on your own, not really engaging with people? Or have you been constantly talking to people and people coming up to you and approaching you? Which, which one has it been? I have to say it's been, it's been both. The journey goes, when I first walked into the Blackpool Tower Ballroom, on my own, camera gear, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I stood in the corner, I watched, as always, stand by the side of the dance floor. I never go onto the dance floor. It's just a rule I have. I don't want to get in anyone's way. I've probably missed a million amazing shots. But for me, I always felt I didn't want to interfere or I didn't want people to see me taking their picture because I wanted it to be as natural as possible. I didn't want to be a, a, a pose or a deliberate dance move to, to just to get a picture. So at first, it was very solitary. Like I said at the beginning, over time, people suddenly get to know who you are. And more so when I was, again, photographing at the tower, uh, someone was standing behind me and I said, oh, it's okay, just go past, don't worry, I'm just taking a picture. And uh, he introduced himself and he said, no, I'm from Barcelona. I follow you on the on social media. I just want to say hello. And that was the first time I kind of thought, oh, wow, people 
either know of my work or me and, and it that kind of changed a lot for me and and after that you know I've, I've got to meet friends all over Europe and, and like I said I went to Brazil for a, on a kickstarter to photograph the northern soul scene and I'm still in, in touch with those guys there now and it is a family you know as corny as that may sound and there's always going to be falling down bickering but now you can't go to a northern soul gig without talking to majority of those people in fact i met my girlfriend my partner through uh, northern soul dancing and i never got involved i always wanted to be kind of separate from that and, it, and that's been great because obviously we can go to a gig she can dance all night and i don't have to worry about leaving her on her own or wondering is she okay people ask after dawn and i can just get the pictures done so it, it's yeah it's changed my life in, in a lot of ways and in a lot of good ways really i'm really glad to hear that that's really good so what sort of advice would you give someone who is looking to get into maybe gig photography that's probably the genre that people might want to get into that you would be good at advising on so someone they've got an all right camera maybe not top of the line camera because i'm not saying people should go out and spend three thousand pounds on cameras and lenses but they've got an all right camera what should they do to get good shots at a gig or in a, this dark environment i learned to shoot manual straight away after a couple of months of picking up a Canon 40D, which was my camera of choice for a good couple of years and a workhorse. So for me, I love prime lenses. So if you can get yourself a nifty 50 Canon or Nikon, it gives you the ability to drop your IS, not your IS, so drop your F-stop. So, you know, we can get down to 1.8 or 2, which can let loads of lighting, so faster shutter speeds. Be brave, be passionate, and, and love what you do. There's nothing worse if you're kind of not looking forward to it or you feel a little bit ugh about it. You've got to kind of love what you do. And it's going to be hard work. It really is. But you get to meet some amazing people. And just get out there. The more you shoot, the better you will be. You know, you can learn as much as you want on YouTube and, and read as much as you can. But you've got to get out there. And, and that's the only way I, I learned. As a self-taught photographer, it was talking to people as well, getting advice, constantly learning. And even now, get out there and do it is, is one thing I would say to anyone. And if you love what you do, then... You, you know you're going to just move forward every time i would say it's meaningless to sit and watch hours and hours of youtube videos on photography and they are good youtube videos on photography because i'm self-taught as well i will always watch stuff on youtube whether it's gear reviews or or tutorials i don't watch so much now but that really helped i learned better via videos than than reading books and stuff but it's all useless if you don't go out and do any photography what's the point being a technical expert if you never go and do it. So I completely agree, by all means learn stuff, but then go put it into practice and see what works for you. Using the cameras you've had, the 40D, the 7D, the Sony, I imagine particularly with the Canons and the older cameras you've had, focusing with autofocus in such dark conditions would be problematic. Were you a manual focuser? I'm gonna say no. The advantage of having a speed light enables you to just push it a little bit further and this goes back to what i said before if you can shoot in manual and learn how your camera will operate and navigate through it i found that i was just able to keep my focus point not center probably just kind of a fraction up from there and focus on a certain point and again it's about understanding the light so that 
if there was ambient light there and they were dancing in it towards it, then I, I could get a focus point. And it was trial and error. I would always kind of make sure the flash wasn't too bright because I, I like the images to be dark and moody. But from the 40D, yeah, I struggled. I went to the 7D and I, I currently have a, a 5D Mark II, uh, which is an amazing camera, but it's so big and bulky. I tend not to use as much, whereas the Sony, it's not as fast sometimes on focusing, believe it or not, but you learn to kind of live with the tech that you've got. And I'm not one for going, like you said, buying a thousand pound camera and lens, uh, just to shoot in auto. I think you just learn to adapt to the situation and turn it to your advantage, really. I mean, I've got I've got the original 5D, which I still use all the time. It, it's a heavy camera and I've got a lot of smaller cameras and my preference for doing street photography is to, is to use a compact camera. I suppose if I line them up next to each other, they get smaller and smaller, like in a sort of triangular shape. One of the advantages of your Sony must be it's going to be lighter than your traditional DSLR. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's a breath of fresh air. You know, I can, I can put it in an outdoor jacket pocket with a, a 35 mil lens on it. It's just great. You know, you don't know you've got it. When you're looking around a, a Canon 5D with a, L lens on it you soon end it with tennis elbow after a couple of years of photographing so yeah it's like i said it's, it was a game changer for me one of the best things for me was that i could transfer an image onto my phone edit in lightroom and put it out there straight away so if, if i was in glasgow for example last weekend at barrow lands i could go back to the hotel do a cheeky edit on on, on the mobile and put it up there uh, and, and that keeps people interested and in, 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 I'm on the ball. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's certainly the way forward for me. But like I said, for anyone starting out, go with your budget and, and anyone will tell you that it's the lens that's going to do you more credit than the camera itself. But the reality is I've got friends who shoot predominantly film 35 mil and they're producing some stunning works. So it's just a tool in the day. I firmly believe it's the photographer and the person that makes it. It's that relationship you have with whatever subject it is you're photographing. I mean, I, I, I sort of echo that. It's a tool. You know, I've got a variety of bits of gear. All I find is I could get the shot with one bit of gear and I could get the shot slightly quicker and with slightly less effort with another bit of gear. So I've got a flash that's TTL and I've got a flash that's manual. I would get the shot regardless if I'm using flash, but it's just quicker with the one with TTL. I don't have to fiddle about. And so really all I think gear does is make you shoot quicker or help you get the result quicker. I think with anything, you can get the same result. It's just about how long it takes you. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I think as well, the handful of photographers who photograph the Northern Soul scene, everyone has their own style. I have a few colleagues who kind of do the slow shutter speed, so you kind of get that blurred motion. And, and some of these guys are, are, are basic kit lens onwards, and, and then some are using, you know, Sigma Art Lens 50. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 I would never, I have students who kind of say to me, oh, should I buy this and should I buy that? And I go back to what I said before, your kit lens is a good lens, it'll do exactly what you want it to do. A lot of it is confidence. And, and then if they ask me if, if they want to buy a lens, I predominantly shoot prime. Uh, I, I, and that gives me that speed option as well. If shooting with a prime lens for me uh, is faster than, than a standard zoom lens. So for the students, I always say to them, nifty 50 all the way. It's going to game change. And also it's going to start making you move around and look for that picture instead of standing there and thinking, well, I can, I can zoom in, I can capture it. The nifty 50 
it is a very good lens and it's it's about it's under 100 pounds isn't it for the canon one yeah i mean you can get it for 40 i think the nikon's a little bit more expensive but uh, yeah plastic fit but it's going to do a job you know for a lot for a lot of people who are starting out and i'm teaching and they go well i can't get my picture like like you've just taken yours but then they're not controlling the settings properly and i, I can take the camera do a picture and say look it's more or less the same it's just having that confidence in yourself uh, you know and, and not relying too much on that kit but when you're first starting out nifty 50 and a kit lens is going to be adequate if i look at my gear and a bit like what you said you know i've got the canon 5d and i've got the 24 to 105 huge lens i've got to a stage now where i can probably fit all my camera gear in in a decent size camera rucksack and that's it you know you don't need all the bells and whistles i think it's, it's just going to be a hindrance because what you're going to do with it you can't shoot all at the same time i did a shoot last weekend and i took my my canon aps-c body you, you mentioned the Sigma 50mm. I've got that. I took that. It's a big lens. It's quite heavy. Took another lens. I've got this pancake lens, which is 24mm f2.8. And it's small and it, it spends most of my time on my camera. And I thought, oh, I, I, it's hardly worth taking off. I'll take that as well. It's not going to weigh me down. It's so small. The best shot I got was with that lens. So I took three primes and I got my best shot and the shot I was most happiest with and the sharpest shot with my cheapest prime, which was that that one that was just an afterthought, where I, really I took it because I couldn't be bothered to take it off the camera. It, it acts as a lens cap, really, you know, that you put in the front. It just, it does go to show cheap doesn't mean bad. It was a nice image and I was happy with it. The other lenses would were too telephoto to get that. So it's just about having the right lens at the right time, really. Speaking of that, do you bring other lenses with you or do you just have one lens? That's it. With my Canon, I've always shot with one main lens and that was the L lens 24 to 105. And I've never really shot with anything else other than that's probably my main Canon lens for the past eight years up until Sony. I've had the kind of the, the 10 to 20 Sigma and I have a nifty 50. But like I said, after a while, I wasn't using it. I wasn't shooting it. And I thought... I'll, I'll sell those and I'll put the money towards, you know, something else. And with regards to the Sony, go back to what you said. Yeah, I have a, a Samyang 35 mil and I could have gone for the, the Sony Zeiss, but uh, the Samyang lens is obviously half the price. And that is on my camera majority of the time if I'm out and about doing street photography. 35 mil is just a, a lovely focal length. And then and apart from that, then it's it's the Zeiss 55 mil for kind of food photography and Northern Seoul. The focal length just works really well for me. It keeps my distance and I, and I can get a really good frame. So like I said, I've kind of really tried to pare it down. I've tried not to think, oh, I need the next greatest and best camera or, or, or lens. As far as I can tell, I'm doing a good enough job. And I'm happy with it and, and the people who, who buy the images are. So I guess the proof's in the pudding. I mean, a lot of my cameras are 12 megapixels. I've got several cameras that are around 12 megapixels. And I think that's fine. You know, that I've never gone, oh, God, I wish I had more megapixels. I have other cameras with more megapixels. But when digital first started and you had four megapixels, yes, I can, I can see the need for wanting more than four megapixels. But if it's 12 megapixels, 16, 24, 42... I don't think anyone's going to look at it and we'll be able to tell the difference. It gives you a bit more flexibility in editing if you're going to print it high quality, but I don't think anyone can tell because most photography is consumed on a screen or on a phone now. Absolutely. And, and I think there's a surprising thing is, I don't know if you've seen it, but I, it's funny how 
people who shoot digitally with more megapixels end up editing with a real grainy feel to it as if they've shot it on film. It always baffled me slightly that they would do that. But you're right, you know, if it's going to be just online presence, no one's going to know the difference. By the time you've uploaded it, it's compressed. I have to say, when I started printing my work, and that's another thing I would implore people to do, you know, if they've they've got an image that they're really happy with, print it out because it it comes alive then, you know, it really does. When people are buying prints, not just a Northern Soul, it was so nice to kind of see them printed, you know, black and white and framed and mounted. But for me, a lot of my work now, currently, I've got work hanging in the Winter Gardens in Blackpool for, for next month for the International Soul Festival. And I hang four portraits in the glass cabinet. So they are literally blown up to A0. And a couple of years before that, I was doing images literally kind of 12 foot in length. So... I never really worried about the quality of the image because if you're shooting black and white, you can kind of get away with that graininess. It's not going to, and no one ever said, Oh, I don't, I think it's a bit grainy or, you know, it's not quality wise. So it's kind of always worked to me. And like, you know, I've never really kind of thought, Oh, I need to get one that's got huge amount of megapixels. Who could afford that anyway? My next question is going to go away from the Northern Soul Photography because start a discussion about teaching photography because I know you teach photography. It must be really nice to teach photography and see people develop photographically, no pun intended there. It is. I've done it for three years. Like I said, I got contacted by a friend who I was actually just landed in Brazil and she emailed to say, do you fancy teaching? They need a tutor for evening class. And I said, well, I'm kind of busy at the moment. Can I call you when I get back? And had an informal interview. The job was kind of mine. I went to kind of look at the class. The tutor was sick. I ended up taking the class. So literally baptism of fire i love every minute i've never missed a a class and it is great to see how they develop over those 10 weeks and the class starts as a beginner's course for 10 weeks and then we do what we call an advanced course for another 10 weeks and they tend to run one after another and it's great because if the students carry on they're looking back at their works after 20 weeks and seeing huge amount of improvement and even though i have to kind of give them some sort of technical photography knowledge I I explained to them that for me to be able to look and see an image and be creative is just as important and when students are coming back and like I'm starting to see things a bit different now I'm looking at things that I I wouldn't normally look at that always puts a smile on my face I think one of the things I like about photography is it's the only thing I can do creatively I'm rubbish at drawing I can't play an instrument it's the only thing that I can create something that's half decent. Well, I have a, I do have an art background, but I've not picked up a pencil and drawn for, for a long time. I think for me, a camera just allows you just to get out there, doesn't it? You know, you can be just on your own, have your camera and go anywhere. And most people aren't going to bother with you. I live just down the road from Stanley Park and, you know, you walk into Stanley Park at 5.30 in the morning and there's only there's only other uh, me with my camera and dog walkers and it's a, a good morning and a nod and no one's going to bother you you know you can get that sunrise and, and get those lovely moody shots it, it's fine no one's going to look at you in a, in a certain way and you're right it gives such satisfaction and joy just to be able to be outdoors 
like I said, pick up your camera and go. No one's, you know, you have to worry about anything else for the day. And I love that you kind of lose yourself in what you're doing. You know, I'm thinking I can't even paint a wall. We painted a wall and I struggled with that. I think I got it on like the the coving bit so yeah i can't even paint a wall so it's the only thing i can do creatively my writing's messy but that leads me to my next point this is this is a mean question to ask you can you teach photography or is it something that is a skill like painting that people just have or they don't have can people get better at photography with teaching? I, I'm going to say yeah, because I have seen people's images from when they first started to when they finished, and they understand more about framing and composition. And I use the phrase snapshots, not just kind of going out and firing off hundreds of shots and trying to think, well, one of those will be okay. For me, it's, it's kind of teaching them to take their time and... I throw the kitchen sink at them, you know, I make no qualms, you know, I tell them from, from the first night, you turn your camera to manual and it stays on manual, because if you can learn those three main settings, you're there for me, you're mastering photography, you know, the rest of it is fundamentally your creative input. I think you can certainly give people that springboard to, to move forward and if anything, be more confident because for a lot of people who haven't done street photography or they've just got a camera and they're not too sure or they're doing it because they want to get out a bit more, it's a huge amount to take on. And so therefore, if I kind of go down the angle of more creativity than tech, then hopefully that kind of puts them at ease as well, you know. I want you to think of three three tips you would give a beginner. And please just limit it to three. Your top three tips you'd give a beginner to improve. Learn to shoot in manual. Get out as much as possible and enjoy. Really enjoy what you do and what you're taking pictures of. My three tips would be get high and get low, pointing down and low to the ground to get some interesting angles. Think about your shutter speed so that you don't get a blurry image. The other thing to improve your image is where you can and where your camera will allow it, shoot in RAW so that if you need to, can save your image a bit later or you, you've got more flexibility. Those those would be my three. My, my only thing about shooting RAW is for a lot of people who are starting out, if they're still taking loads of pictures, raw files are so big. And I only tell them to shoot in raw if they feel comfortable enough to that they're going to edit it or print it or they're going to keep it. Because for a lot of them, when they're first starting out, they're still in the habit of taking hundreds of shots. So I agree with you. But for me, I always say if you're starting out, shoot in JPEG until you feel comfortable. And then either shooting both or just, just jump straight into RAW if you feel you can do, you know. But I mean, even even things like smartphones now, thankfully, you can plug your card in and it will recognise RAW files, which is great. Maybe not on the newest of cameras because it hasn't updated, but certainly for my older Canon cameras, I can certainly get away with plugging them in to my phone. And, and in fact, it's not just phones, actually. Windows and Mac sometimes have recognised RAW, which is quite good. So you can shoot RAW and plug it in your computer or your phone and you should be able to see it on the screen. Of course, you can't necessarily share it on social media and other websites. You need to convert it to JPEG. But RAW used to be a bit of a preserve of an expert. It used to be a bit scary because you needed either Canon software or Sony software or Lightroom or Photoshop. But now I do feel RAW is much more accessible to people. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you know, if you're really going to push it forward and you're comfortable enough, then yeah, definitely use it, you know, because that's why I say to a lot of students and people, you know, print your images. And obviously if you're shooting in RAW, you've just got that capability of a lot more data. 
which means you know you're going to get a better image all around so yeah and the fact that even my iPhone through my Sony I can transfer a raw file and, and edit it there and then which is amazing whereas like you said back in the day it was always professionals and you would never kind of see an amateur shooting in raw it was kind of almost taboo but yeah it's an open market now which is great so I think we've come to the end of our, our podcast episode. We've, we've been talking for a long time. Where can people find your work, Richard? And, and where can they find out more about your work and, and yourself and, and your images? Thanks very much indeed for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. First ever podcast. So you can get me on Richard John Photography and that's uh, Richard J-O-N and also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. It's either Richard John or Richard Borton, which is my surname. I don't use it because no one can ever spell it correctly but it's uh, richard o-u-g-h-t-o-n don't worry all that will appear in the description below for those people who are interested so i want to thank you very much richard it's been a really interesting podcast it's been really interesting to talk to you so thank you so much thank you indeed sir lovely great talking to you